Okay, so hey everybody, welcome to our first Astro, I'm calling them Astro Chat Hangouts. I don't know what we'll end up calling them. I don't even know if we're going to be talking about a lot of Astro stuff. I really don't, because today, this this was a brainchild I had early, late last year when, I, you, you guys know that I've been with Carol. This is Carol Christian. She's right here with me. You're looking right at her if you're watching this on YouTube. And uh, we do all this stuff together that, and we have these great conversations before I hit the stream button. And I wanted to kind of capture some of this because Carol's got a lot of really cool things to say. So, um, good. Larry Keese just told me things are going well. Excellent. And good. so I wanted to capture them and, and share some of that stuff with you. So you're going to get Carol and me kind of unfiltered. I say kind of, yeah. cause there's some things we just can't say, but you know, uh, we are gonna, we are gonna share with you stuff. And, and nominally today's topic was going to be women in science. And so I don't know, we'll talk about women in science cause Carol's a woman and she's in science, but we'll probably also talk about other things. So how are you doing, Carol? I'm doing great. I'm frantic, but I'm, I'm great. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you're always frantic. Every time, <laughs> every time we talk, you're always frantic. I know. <laughs> I know. You, you've got like I'm a million things. It's my stress, but that isn't, uh, instead what I do is add stuff to the list. <laughs> <laughs> so I can ignore everything else. I'm like, uh, Oh, I'm doing this now. <laughs> yeah. Right now. So thank you for taking time out to just take a minute and just kind of, let's just chill for a minute. It's just me and you and whoever's watching this thing. So, uh, okay. we'll, it'll, it'll just be us. Um, so what I'm going to do here, folks, is I'm, I'm, I'm recording this. I'm streaming this live mostly for the interaction. I want to be able to talk with you guys in the live chat while we're recording, but this is going to, yeah. the audio of this is going to go on the deep astronomy podcast. So look for this next week on deep astronomy. Uh, it's you, but if you already, you're, you're probably already listening to it because it's the same thing I use to post all the audio for the hangouts we've been doing all these years. So it's the same place. I'm just going to post it to the same thing. Only I'm calling it the, the astro chat, uh, hangout. It's the only thing. So, uh, that's what we're doing. And we'll talk maybe for about an hour or so, and I'll take your questions. I'm looking at YouTube, only streaming to YouTube right now. So, Carol, as we said, well, you guys, you always have some, you always have a million things going on. And before I, we started streaming, you were starting to tell me something else you just got involved in. I told you, I made you wait because you're about to do something really cool. Tell us what you're yeah, involved in. Um, so the background is I, I've been for a while a member of the Maryland 99s, which is part of the International Association, which is called the 99s. 99s were founded around the time that Amelia Earhart was becoming famous through her husband, George Putnam's publishing company. Anyway. Well, back up. Know, you're, you're a pilot. You're a pilot. We need to I'm say a, that. Sorry. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a pilot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you don't know that. I'm a pilot. I'm a astronomer, but I'm a pilot. I'm an instructor, actually. Anyway. Wow. So the Maryland 90, the 99s was a, uh, an organization of women pilots, and they wanted to get together. So they decided to have a conference, and 99 women pilots showed up. So they decided to call it the 99s. So it's called the 99s. They elected Amelia Earhart the president, and I'm a member of the Maryland chapter. I'm the education officer for our chapter. Anyway, um, we were having it, it, it also in the past, in 1947 or so, Jackie Cochran, who is a very famous um, test pilot, actually, um, was wanted to run an air race. Now, many of you may know nothing about this, but you may have heard about the Red Bull air race. Red Bull air race is an actual race of airplanes around pylons and everything. So it's a, it's a real, 
did that used to be but, called the Reno Air Races, or was that? Yeah, it may have been, but then Red Bull and some other companies sort of. But yeah, it's Red Bull, and I think it's not only held in Reno anymore. But um, anyway, so there's a big Red Bull, mostly men. Anyway, um, but all the way back in 1947, the women were already racing. And the idea was that it's a race across the country. So it's about 2,500 miles. Um, but they've been changing the courses. And uh, some person called it the Powder Puff Derby. Um, I think it was a man who actually named <laughs> That's it that. a man doing anyway, that. Yeah. I remember this when I first got my pilot's license. I was like, really? That's what it's called. Anyway, it's called now the Women's Air Race Classic. And they run it every year. So we were sitting in a meeting. And I don't know why, but just in the middle of the meeting, I said, you know what? I want to run the Air Race Classic. I just want to do it. I don't, you know, I don't care if I win, but I, w- I, w- I want to do it. It sounds like as a life event, it should be interesting. So, so the, ra- the, the race itself is, yeah. you, you, the course is, an, is a big, long oval around two pylons yeah. at a specific no, altitude. No, 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 no. No? Oh, what no, is it? Describe the it for us. Red Bull race is around pylons. Oh, the women's a, 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 the air race and the the powder puff derby was across the country. Oh, from one side of the country to the other. So the race so, is to get from one side of the country to the other as fast as you can. That was the classic air race. Oh. This year and in recent years, they've also in altering the name. They've also altered the courses. Um. And sadly, it started in Frederick, Maryland last year. So I missed that one because that's right up the street from where I live. But this year, it actually it starts in – so it's called Air Race Classic. So if you want to know about it, there's all kinds of information about the Air Race Classic, including the map. But anyway, we start in Jackson, Tennessee, go to Alabama, and then I think Mississippi. And then we go north um, through a bunch of states. It, you know, it's 2,500 um, statute miles into Canada and it ends uh, in Welland, Ontario, which is nearish. It's west of Niagara. So I said, I want to do this. And so we were sitting there and one of the other officers actually happens to be an uh, air charter jet jockey. And she said, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we have an instructor who is, She's my instructor, but we do our flight reviews together and have lunch and all that every year. But anyway, that's another story. She can't go because she had, and so she was like, oh, we're going, but she's going to be in Europe this year. So my partner, Jane, I mean, my friend Jane said, well, so everybody looked at Jane and she goes, well, I guess I could go. I guess (laughs) I could go. (laughs) So with that, Sticking our toe in, we started investigating it. It'll be in my airplane. My two male partners are kind of grumpy because they want to go. So you own an airplane with two other people. You have two a partnership. Other guys, yeah. I so, see. And they're like, well, okay. well what are we going to do? <laughs> so, you're gonna so you're hogging up the airplane. Watch for- our Facebook account. Watch our tweets. That's right. Follow along so, on Twitter, man. Sorry. What kind of plane is it? Do you, can you, can you listen? Ca- so it's called a Cirrus SR-22, and it's it's manufactured by Cirrus Aircraft. C-I-R-R-U-S, like clouds, right? So wow, Cirrus. yeah. I've never heard of that that manufacturer. Okay. It's a it's a glass cockpit. It's a really nice composite air, airplane. Oh, you can yeah? look them up on the web. Um, and uh, so 
in chatting with family members, I'm going to give my credit to my brother, who's really the real genius in the family. Um, he said, you know, we used to have a volleyball team that was called Seriously Amazing because we figured no matter where we placed in volleyball, they would say like, boy, Seriously Amazing came in fourth. Or the, <laughs> the people who came in fourth were Seriously Amazing. So I went, that's a great name. So instead of seriously, like an English word, we call it because the name of the plane is Cirrus. We're calling it seriously amazing. We just added the I in Cirrus, so it's seriously amazing. We have a website, and we have a Facebook site, and we have a GoFund site because guess what? Aviation fuel costs a lot of money. Aviation fuel costs between five and a half and six dollars a gallon. Yeah. So our expenses are going to be well over three or four thousand dollars just to keep the plane running. But we have to, you know, have accommodations, transportation, all that stuff. So we're fundraising because we we decided we really couldn't do it on our own. So we have we we have registered. We we could back out at the end of March, but the other day we. You know, my partner and I and a few other people were sitting around. And I said, you know, we have to decide whether we're going to do this or not. And she and I were like, well, we really should have some funds to do this. And we have started out with some sponsors. And we're called making many calls a day, five calls a day to various places. But we started the GoFund thing as well. And so a few people are supporting us. And um, we said, you know, as a life experience... This is an opportunity. We're both able to do this. You know, I've cleared it with my partners. We're going to go for it. I love so it. it's in June and we're going to do it. So it'll it. be two weeks in June. And Well, I didn't know we were um, going to talk about this. Otherwise, I would have had you anyway, give me some links. But the but, but, uh, well, I'll but, share links um, to all this well, I stuff. Can give, I, can, I can give you our website. Okay, go um, ahead. Oh, it's called Air Race Classic. So those three words put together, Air Race Classic dot maryland99s.org okay maryland 99s with an s at the end yes okay it is maryland, so what's the maryland? reason that i wanted to instead of call it seriously amazing the facebook page is called seriously amazing but the and so is the gofundme um site but the reason i want to call it airways classic is because i want to encourage other maryland 99s to do this and yeah. so I want there to be a site already made. And when it's their turn, I want them to put. So the oh, so you set this that, up, the Maryland 99 site. No, the Maryland 99 site, we have a chapter. It's, oh, okay. it's part of the right. international. We have the chapter. And I asked our chapter, is it okay if we springboard off of the site? And the person, there's actually a lovely young lady who is, um, could just bought an airplane. Um, who is supporting the website and she agreed to put this site up for us. So I'm hoping actually that this starts a precedent in our chapter and I'm going to get some of these young ladies like this one who just bought an airplane. She's getting her private pilots. Maybe she'll do the race. So I said, you know, don't name it Anna after us. Maybe we can put a, put a fr- footprint on the web and we'll try to get other members to do it. And so maybe in the future we'll be supporting them. And that's part of it as well, because I'm an instructor. My partner's an instructor. She instructs in Civil Air Patrol. 
you know, I do a lot of STEM education. We're doing the Girl Scouts aviation badge at the end of the month with a group of Maryland Girl Scouts. So it's about science and, and science education. So it kind of meshes together with aviation, aerospace, uh, astronomy. That's, you know, it's all to get people interested in, in science and technology and math. And aviation and, and astronomy are perfect vehicles because it's so exciting and it's fun and interesting and tangible. So, um, you know, we start in science at the A, A and B and C and then biology and chemistry. Anyway, so, you know, we're starting with A. So we're supporting STEM events and doing this race and that kind of stuff. So it's oh, pretty exciting. So cool. I don't have time to do this, but I'm doing it. Yeah, so I was going to say. The opportunity right? knocked and I was like, I'm doing it. And everybody went, that's a great idea. And I thought they'd talk me down, you know, and say, oh, God, too much work. Blah, blah. Yeah. And the other thing, it's very supportive. They assign you what's called a mother bird. And so it's somebody who has a lot of experience in this race. And so I'm going to get a mother, mother bird by Monday or Tuesday. And that person will help us prepare because there's a million things you have to do to prepare. Um, and I'm trying to slog through it. But it's exciting and it's challenging. I think it's amazing. Yeah, I'm going to follow your travels on that too because that'll be that'll be really great. Well, I hope yeah. you win, anyway, but it, it's I understand what these things win. are like. We're not going to win. There are people who are, but it's interesting that there are there. I'm looking at the racer list. There are quite a few universities who have young women in the race. They have airplanes and they have them in the race, and they're getting sponsorship too. So, and then there are some very experienced aviators who run the race several times and lots of volunteers. So I hope in the future, if, 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 if there's a stop in proximity to either Florida or, or um, Maryland, I think after this experience, I'd like to volunteer and help um, with the race. So it, it's just, you know, I've read about this stuff since I was a kid, you know, the race of Louise Thadden. So Louise Thadden and Jackie Cochran were the racers. Earhart was the long distance flyer. And, and the reason she's so famous is because of the world trip, but also because, you know, she married this guy, George Putnam, who was completely infatuated with her. Yeah. And you know, bankrolled her and put her out there because he had a publishing company. And so we had this joke in January. It's like, Carol, you're going to have to find a guy who's a publisher and get <laughs> by the end of the month. And I was like, okay. uh, maybe not. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Well, so we're going to do the funding another way. I'm not sacrificing myself as a, you know, shotgun bride to get funding. <laughs> doing my you want to do it. Just not that bad. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So Amelia Earhart was a, was a long distance racer. You said and Larry Keese is I asking on, that, yeah. on discord. Uh, did she did. She, did she also do pylon uh, racing? Do you know? Well, this was never a pylon race. So, I know. No, no, uh, this wasn't. But uh, did I she also know, at some point? I don't know her history that way, but okay. I don't think so. I think she was always doing long distance stuff. Okay. I mean, she did education stuff too, but I don't think she did pylon. It was really Jackie Cochran and Louise Thadden who were the ones who were really good. And I, my understanding was Louise Thadden was like on fire. So, um, and there were, I think the first race ever, there were like seven. I mean, I find that amazing. 1947, there were seven women pilots who competed in it. I was like, awesome. <laughs> I know. Which well, is amazing. I mean, 1947, I mean, we were pretty far behind in astronomy, and there were seven women pilots who flew this, had aim, 
airplanes to fly it. I'm like, yeah, right on. So, I know that's true. That's a good point. Yeah. And it, and you know, while we didn't plan to talk about this, this is a good topic for today because women in aviation and, and, uh, you know, going into women in, in, in science isn't a big stretch. So we, that was, this was a good right, topic. Because we have, you know, hidden figures, we had all that in NASA. Yeah. And then, um, we had, we had, it's, I had done a book review of hidden figures and people, people have heard of hidden figures um, with the math skills uh, and also the social um, challenges that the women had uh, in NASA um, in trying to do their jobs. We had, we had sort of a similar situation in astronomy and there's a book called the glass ceiling, which is about um, the early days it's really focused on Harvard College Observatory, but it focuses on the women who were, at the time it was thought, and also because they had the big hoop skirts and stuff, um, it was thought that by the end of the 1800s, the beginning of 1900s, that women were too delicate to stand outside all night and observe, so men had to do that. And so the women, oh, so they took photographic plates and... Um, and uh, most of the data analysis was done by the women. And so the Col Harvard College Observatory actually has the whole collection of plates now. And there's an effort to try to get money to scan them all and everything. Well, along with that was uh, the interesting story there is that in addition to the just taking images in different colors and trying to classify stars. This is the early days of astronomy where it wasn't really understood what different stars were and stuff like that. Um, well, it sounds like this is before Hubble did his uh, measure, uh, observations. Yeah, so well. then they started with the um, spectroscopy, which is where you have a grating or a prism and you divide the light up and you analyze it. And they were trying to analyze um, that data and all in it, both the imagery. So the imagery was analyzed um, uh, and it was discovered that the variable stars called Cepheids vary because they pulsate and that was part of the demise of the um the theory that galaxies were actually things nearby us is that uh the the variable stars in the companion galaxies to our own the large magellanic cloud and the small magellanic clouds they found the same stars as nearby us and they vary because they're pulsating and the amount they vary in their brightness is an intrinsic value. And so you can see them pulsate far away, see them pulsate close by and you do the calibration close by and then you apply it to the more distant thing. And that's how it was discovered that the Magellanic clouds, which are seen in the Southern hemisphere, were actually pretty far away. They're, they're part of our little system here, but it was like, oh, if those little things are actually pretty far away, then how far away are like Andromeda and the other galaxies that we see? And then the distance scale was born. So all that analysis work was done by women at Harvard College Observatory. And the other interesting thing was that a woman named Cecilia Payne-Kapashkin, who I actually met when I was in Boston as a graduate student, um, she was Russian and she was actually, she was actually, I don't know if she was Russian or Czech now, I forget. But anyway, um, she was actually educated in Europe and she had a chemistry background and she ended up in the in the US and because of her chemistry background, she started looking at the spectra of the stars and she said, I think this stuff is chemical elements. <laughs> and and that was like a, and then she was very persistent and she I think she did some laboratory work and she said, These are chemical elements, dudes. 
And so she was the one who insisted that what was being observed was chemical elements in absorption, that the, the chemical elements in stars, particularly the sun, were absorbing the light and that something could be known about those stars and their their chemistry and things like that. So I did not that know that. Of, so hang yes, on. So yeah. Hang, so that was really interesting. It was a big. They they kept telling her she was no 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 no, and she's I'm a freaking chemist. Okay, I have a degree in chemistry. Right. <laughs> and didn't they also have those glow tubes? Didn't back then, so they could they knew that. I would have thought, but there was something about they 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 didn't really understand the absorption spectra and they didn't really think. So and they also, didn't make that connection. It took it. She didn't. And it was because she was a chemist. I'll be damned. Well, that's they a great story. Yeah. It's really, so it, that's all in the glass ceiling. It's a really, it's a really interesting book. It's, it's maddening if you're a woman <laughs> well, because, well, on the other hand, I will say, um, no, it escapes me. That, anyway, the president, to his credit, the president of the Harvard College Observatory actually, 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 actually um, made sure that all the women who were working with him on his data, the plates and all that stuff, that they all got credit. And for the ones who wrote up their analysis, he made sure that they were given authorship credit. So he didn't just say, oh, they were, thanks a lot, but I'll take the credit. He didn't do that. And that was very important. And another reason it was important was about that time is when the International um, Astronomical Union was being formed. And, you know, people were traveling by ship to Europe and, you know, conferring with their colleagues. And all of a sudden, astronomers were like building this global society of scientists and he made sure that some of the women were able to travel and do this, um, you know, present their papers and whatnot. And the other interesting thing about the sociology of it is this is in more time. I mean, in 1947, when we're talking about the air race, this is all going on while there's world wars going on, right? So there's yeah. the first one in the 20s and then in the 45. So the International uh, Astronomical Union um, was outraged that they they actually they actually did not want to pay attention to the moratorium on travel they were like we're scientists i'm sorry we're traveling and we are we are going to talk to scientists who are in other countries who are unpopular <laughs> so i think it's a real testimony to the power and commitment of people in science that they did not want to be they wanted to proceed with the science and they didn't want to deal with the politics and there was like we acknowledge that there's a problem here and injustice but we're we're trying to <laughs> or we want to do our life, which which bonded people, and this is still true that people are bonded globally in astronomy. I mean, there are people in Iran who are quite literate and who are and so astronomers without borders. They they communicate with young people who are doing astronomy in Iran, and we're like, oh, we don't we don't talk to them now, and they're evil empire, all this stuff. Well, there's a bunch of people who do science there, and these independent organizations cross those those bridges. Well, it's interesting because you're you're right about that. That, that when it comes to political barriers and 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 nation boundaries and all of this stuff, science has pretty much most scientists have been pretty blind to it. You get a few politically motivated and minded uh, scientists out there or some some people who are just doing it more out of a practical sense of staying sure. alive. Uh, sure. but 
but and so you're right about they will they will not really to the extent that they have to pay attention to these things. Yeah. But I mean, that's... we have notable examples in high energy physics and, you know, biology and biological weapons and stuff like that. But the thing is about astronomy, which we always say, right? You and yeah. I say this too. You know this. Astronomy is not worth anything to I mean, and nobody really cares about it. I mean, fundamentally. Yeah, there's always this sense yeah, of why do we need to know this? It's intellectual part, yeah. right? But it's a science and it draws upon biology, chemistry, physics. Um, but except for a few posters, you can't sell it. There's nobody dies. You know. <laughs> and unless there's an there's asteroid no heading right for us, nobody cares. Economic advantage to doing this. So astronomy is one of those things where it really reaches you intellectually and a little bit sometimes emotionally and people are have an affinity for it and you don't have to be afraid to love astronomy. Yeah. I mean, it's like you do astronomy because you're not, it, it, I don't know, has no economic value. Well, there's not, yeah, well, it's not politically threatening, isn't it? I mean, it's not, not like if you're a physicist and studying no nutri- nuclear it and all that stuff. So it's, it's great. So you can cross those boundaries, even though you're mortal enemies politically, you can still, if you can still talk about astronomy, Hey. Yeah. Right? But I mean, not to toot science's horn too uh, much here, because that while they are good at these getting past these political boundaries, they really suck at this gender thing. Because um, it has taken a long, long time, I think, from and I'm looking at this from a white guy's perspective, uh, to overcome some of this stuff, and it's finally starting to happen now. But what do you think, Carol? Do you think that's true that these gender barriers that have existed since well since the glass ceiling was written and all the way up through the 40s whenever when women were primarily doing calculator roles or data analysis roles uh through the 60s even that was going on we saw that with hidden figures um and alan turing the alan turing uh uh movie i saw had a lot of women doing the same kind of computations with with the uh with the enigma code and stuff like that so has it got? Has it finally? Is it finally over? These 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 gender barriers to being a becoming a scientist, or to at least no. being taken seriously, or is it still no, there? No, it's not. It's not. And I would say that the the barriers are not. I think to the the passerby or whatever. I don't know how to say this, but you don't like when I worked in an observatory in Hawaii, at Canada, France. You know, I went to staff meetings. I was the only woman there. The yeah. only women in the place were the accountants the accounting assistants, the head guy, the head was a guy and the administrative staff. There was one woman technician. And then as far as the scientists and the management, I was the only one. So, you know, that's kind of how I was raised. And I, (laughs) my colleagues today pay for that because I act like a guy sometimes, you know, and they don't like it. And it's like, I'm too outspoken and I'm nasty and all that. Anyway. Well, okay. Um, but that's, you know, but uh, okay, I'm not going to say you're nasty because that's, that's, that that that's not how I'd characterize you, but definitely so outspoken. So, so that kind of stuff isn't happening. But I will say as recently as two years ago, one of the postdocs, because we, you know, when I was first at Space Telescope, there were like seven of us. So we couldn't have lunch. We never could have a women's lunch because there were only two people available. So two people could have lunch, but it wasn't a women's lunch. Now we have so many that it's great. If you miss one, it's okay. You know, there are plenty of people to discuss. So one of the meetings we were talking about something and there was a, a really bright a young astronomer and she said she and her husband lived in, I think out West, maybe Washington or someplace. And she was given a Hubble fellowship or, or one of the postdoc fellowships 
And she and her husband talked about it. And he did a really good job. He was in computing or security or something. And um, they made it. They talked about it. And they made a decision. And they were like, you should take the job. And we'll both go. And her friends were shocked. Really? What are you? What are you doing? Your husband has a better job than you're going to have. Like, why are you leaving? Yeah. You should just suck it up and try to get a teaching job. And she was like, "I think it was a Hubble pellet." She was like, "This is a very prestigious award, and this is part of my career path." <laughs> and so, and her husband was like, "You know, I can telework." And then they're actually whatever company he worked for, they actually had a branch in Maryland. So he eventually made an arrangement that he was going to transfer to their branch. But it was like a, she was shocked and she was very upset because she thought these people were her real friends. You know, she built this community of they had these friends who were married, couple with friends, and they're going, What are you doing? I know. Why aren't you letting your husband? This is like when the last three years, we were all like, We sat with our mouths open. We're like, You're kidding. Well, so we've actually, we, I will say, the young ladies in my organization at Space Telescope are very aggressive about this. So they've been, they've been actually, um, putting human resources to task and getting all the statistics about all of our committees, all of our conferences, all of our invited talks, everything, 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 peer review, how award uh, time allocation is awarded, the amount of money that's awarded, all this. They're looking at all of it. And, and the great thing is they started the project on a hack day. And I was like, yes. So the, on our a what day? On a hack day. Oh, <laughs> yeah. so they were like, they couldn't find time in their normal functional roles of instrument support and, and doing their research. Yeah. So the guy who's the head of the data analysis branch, they decided to have a hack day. So they said, we want to hack this. We want to make an interface and we want to do surveys and we want to anal analyze the data. So they spent a hack day. Um, Developing the tools and all this stuff. So they now have surveys. Um, they're looking at why people go to conferences and why they can't. Sometimes they can't because there's no childcare. Sometimes they can't because there's, and so we said, you know, we should broaden the whole thing. It has to do with childcare, parent care, pet care, everything. Because ladies have to stay home while the men go to the conference, right? Yeah. Lady, it's your problem. So we're surveying all that, how many, and we're looking at all the conferences and colloquially we have and the invited speakers and all that stuff and recruiting the whole thing. They have statistics on everything. And moving forward, they've set goals based on basically the astronomical community statistics. And they've put stretch goals and um, um, uh, normal goals and stretch goals and over some period time period and they're going to analyze the data and they took it to the director and it was like okay so they're it's really good and i'm actually um um in october giving an invited talk they do the work i said it's your invited talk you have to tell me what to say but i'm giving an invited talk about this very effort it's really impressive it's just like systemic across the institution so that 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 contributes, I think, to a culture change by pointing out the culture. That's what that would do if you had yeah. all these statistics and, and analyses showing, you know, what women and the gender the gender differences in these different activities in science. You're you're basically showing a picture of what the culture is like at that but it's, moment. It's not only that; it's that, and and also the director can say, "Oh yeah, I see. Yeah, we have a problem." 
they're like, <laughs> who's right? a man? I mean, that, that's what can happen. That's what can happen. But they were like, no, this is what we're going to do. You have a goal. You are a chair of committee. You have to answer these questions and you have to demonstrate that you really tried to get the women in this field to speak. So you will document how many people called, who you called, who accepted, why they didn't accept. You're going to have to have all of that. And that's, it's not just to say, well, uh, we're glad you tried really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's a goal. And at the end of the year, when you do your performance, uh, your performance appraisal, your supervisor is on the hook to ask you all those questions and make a comment in the permanent record of whether you were successful at being a chair or a committee member or not. So it's really raised the bar. It's not like, oh, let's hope the statistics get better. They've created tools to make that happen. And people got to step up to the plate and do it. And that's what it takes. So, yeah, yay! that's well, and that's now you work at the Space Telescope Science Institute yeah. and this is being this is work that's being done there. But I think also, if I'm not mistaken, the AAS has also got a committee of women in science. Is that true? They do. Where they also they do, do they do similar they, things or is this? They, they, they expose issues, um, but they don't. I, I wouldn't say this is enforcement or quota, but it is. I mean, it's presented in the sense of performance goals. If you want to be a chair, I mean, part of your career is you have to contribute to the scientific health of the scientific community as well as your own institution. And if you are going to do that, then you should be a chair of a committee or organize a workshop. And part of doing that is not just making sure that there's cookies. You have to make sure that people are invited (laughs) and you have to not always ask the usual suspects on any given topic. There are lots of women in the community who can give talks on any topic you name. So, uh, okay. And I agree, but that's also, that's a kind of a different thing in the sense that there's always the cool kids and that's even true among men, right? If uh, you know, all of these men, there's always somebody you're going to want for your exoplanet talk and yeah. it's, it's going to be that guy. And you know, it's not, and so even if you're a guy wanting to break in, you have to face similar yes. issues with, with this good old boy network because it's uh it's a good old boy. And if you're not one of the boys, whether you're a man, male or female, that's a problem. So in academia, it's like, you know, uh, uh, it's just rife with these kinds of struggles, right? These, some of them are so trivial. You're like, well, why are we doing this? Why are we having this fight? You know, but it's, uh, it's, but we still have this attitude that if you have a male advisor and you're a young woman and you're applying for a job, everybody wants to know how much of your ideas came from your advisor. Well, there's a precedent for that, isn't there? I mean, look at all of the Nobel prizes that were given to men where a key component of the discovery was done, was done by a woman. I mean, there's there's no shortage of stories like that. So, so that, so so that's, 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 it's a a big deal there a little bit. And, but it's never asked. It's never, it's never, if it's a, uh, a male applicant with a male supervisor never asked, you know, oh, maybe those ideas were actually his supervisor's idea. That never, never happens. That's right. And um, if there's a male who has a, a woman who's a mentor supervisor, then it's like, he's really clever. Mm-hmm. 
yeah. you know, that's a response. Now there are some notable expert. I mean, you have like Julianne Del Canton and uh, other people in our community who nobody would question any of their students. If she said, this one's good. We're like, yes, ma'am. But <laughs> some, some, some people, and, and I mean, she's like, she's an example. There are many examples of women who have real teams and they're very powerhouses, but at smaller institutions, you know, the prejudice is still kind of, we don't know her. Right. Um, so, so that's the problem is that the net, the network doesn't, doesn't exist either. And part of the other part of it is not only, you know, being invited, being on, on, you know, be invited somewhere to speak, being able to go to a conference. If you can't go to the conference because of childcare or your, your organization is supporting other people in your field, and they're always supporting. I mean, there, we have notable people at the Institute that were given one little award and suddenly they have every award. And then the, the, the <laughs> Astronomical Society gives them award and the, this society, <laughs> society award. And because, and I, I, we've asked about this. I mean, I've been on these committees and I'm like, why are we giving the awards to the people who already have the awards? This person doesn't really care. Yeah, thank you for the award. This person has 97 awards. Really? We have yeah. to just join the bandwagon? Get, why don't we give the award to somebody and really make a change to their career? This person is established. They, got, they don't have enough room in their office for the awards that they've won. They're not, they don't really walk on water. They do a good job. But why aren't they mentoring they somebody? They do a good job. <laughs> right? yeah. So it's that kind of stuff. It's, it's, it's all the, and this has been well known for a century that this kind of little bit, 1% up, 1% up, 1% up. And suddenly you have this rock star who can't do, do do no wrong and actually has not so much experience. Good, smart, but there are other people who are good and smart too that weren't given that 1%, 1%, 1%. I know you got to wonder the the fame that a lot of these scientists get. uh, You got to wonder just about that. You know, it's sort of self feeding. It's sort of a feedback loop once it starts and then they, they feed on it themselves. And then the whole thing gets bloated beyond proportion. And you're right. The people who could be really helped by these things don't get any recognition. for it. And there are old books on this stuff too. There's a book, there was a study no, I don't know, 10 years ago that was circulating around, uh, I forget the name of the author, I have it on my bookshelf somewhere, where this this 1% thing was actually studied. It even starts in high school. You know, they get a little award. And then, you know, next year, you know, junior high and then high school, and then they get an award. And then suddenly they're being hired at the same job for 10% more, and then they get another one, and then it's 25. And, and it just, it, 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 it's cumulative. It's a geometric progression, and not all of it is just merit. So I, I'm all for people who are smart and clever and productive being awarded for it, but sometimes it builds out of, because the society, I mean, I can say from inside society, societies don't want to make a mistake. Mm-hmm. And yep. so you they're like, well, so and so society said this guy was great and his credentials look pretty good. And then those people actually learn how to write the resumes, right? What about the other people who don't really know how to write the resume, right? They don't know how to do advertising. I know, and you still get burned anywhere, uh, anyway. I, I mean, there's a lot of uh, examples of 
famous uh, astronomers, especially who've gotten uh, all these awards and accolades and attention, only to be burned by their scandals and and the way they treat women anyway. Well, I don't so. call that being burned. I'm getting. I think it's you get what you. What, of course, you know. that's what you, I. Yes, saw, but, but burned is like undeserved. What I meant was I people who you. Yeah, yes. I don't want to be misunderstood here. Famous, famous, <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not condoning examples that. Examples of that. Yes. Of, you know, awards, awards, and one of them that we know, you know, he was talking Nobel Prize. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I remember. Sure. I know just he who you're talking about. Nobel Prize, and then suddenly went, you know, you know what he's been doing. <laughs> yeah, but I'm just on this topic of backing. They don't want to make a mistake. Uh, that by yeah. giving awards to the wrong people, they still get burned by making that mistake. That's what I was referring. Oh, to. Oh, I see that. Yeah, the I, I'm not talking yeah. about the people or excusing yeah. their behavior. I'm talking yes. about and even and even people who gave the awards know of the of of the bad behavior. It, so they know about the bad actors and they still do it. Oh, in that That's case, there's no yeah. Then the, in that event, <laughs> then they deserve that, what they get to. That that. that and and then and then the organization has no room to move when they knew this. Yeah, so yeah, that's, and that's, that's that obviously that's changing. There's a lot of pressure to change that, but it's still it's still you know when you see somebody has been appointed the head of some technical organization or a university or you know Department of Defense, it's like oh my god, really? Yeah, you know, and um, but you got to step up. You got to step up to the plate. So yeah, well, you got to do the job. Anyway, it's it, it's interesting, and it's I will say that it is fun being in a being in a place where we've accumulated so many young, bright women. You really have. I mean, I remember I mean, my, my last years at the Plus, institute. My colleagues who are my age, they're pretty brilliant too. I mean, we've been brilliant all along. We know that, but it's great to have. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. I mean that facetiously, but yeah, I know. <laughs> um, but but it's great to have these really active, you know, women who. Well, when I left the institute in twenty was it twenty fifteen twenty sixteen that was that was on the upswing. There were I was noticing a greater percentage of younger the younger early career scientists were in fact women, and that was great to see. And uh, I'm glad to see it's gotten even better. And, and I and I think the other thing that I'm impressed with is that these women are taking this career pathing stuff on seriously because not only for, for themselves and, and their colleagues and the people who will come after them, but they have embraced the idea that Space Telescope is supposed to be a leader in the community, right? We've got the best telescope. We're getting another great telescope. We put out a lot of money for research. And as a research institution, we are supposed to be leaders. And to have this, they're just like, we don't want that dark side. We yeah. want to be leaders in this too. And that's why they're just like relentless at going after this. Because if somebody comes and says to any of these young ladies, well, what can we do? They have a list. You do this, you do this, you do this, you do this, <laughs> and you put it on the performance appraisal. Get it? Yep. So we can lead in this, which is great. So it's it'll spread. It's not going to be tomorrow, but they, 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 they understand. I know it may not be tomorrow, but it seems like it's definitely a tipping point, right? I mean, we've definitely passed a point, I think where it's finally happening where the, you know, this, these days of taking a backseat or, or taking some passive role or looking or on over some, of being helpless. Those well, days are, the, those the, days are coming the to an administration end. is like, we can't do anything about it. You know, we just appoint people by merit. And yeah, it's like, yeah. are you sure? 
Yeah. <laughs> no, well, that sounds great. Well, it's not, and it's also, even though, uh, this is, you know, you, this has been a problematic in the past. It sounds like you are optimistic about the future. I am. And, and, and already because we've constant, because it's been a women scientists initiative. Now, now we've got the engineers going, what about us? <laughs> Women in engineering, you mean? <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. That's We're great. not going to solve the whole thing at once. But engineering divisions should start thinking about it and start, you know, well, thinking that's about what they're going to do about this. And well, be ready because our director is going to make it so because <laughs> he's impressed. <laughs> and well, he didn't have to do it himself. There, His staff is doing it. So he's happy. Well, while we've been talking, uh, I've got quite a few questions piling up. So let me get to some of these. Okay. Upcycle Electronics says, I've got a question for Carol. Is there anywhere that lists all of the public outreach projects for the AAS? I guess he's meaning citizen science. Or, or do, well, do you, what, do you, oh. what do you mean, Upcycle? Do you mean public outreach or citizen science? Because those aren't the same. Yeah, they're not. But the let's same. just say public but, outreach for now, since that's what he said. Well... You know, the, the American Astronomical Society does some outreach, and it's on the AAS site. So well, by, by, by endorsing AAS, our, our Hangouts, that was part of their outreach. That efforts. was part of it. Yeah. And they do have outreach, small projects, um, because they have very limited funding. Um, they Basically, the funding comes from, well, somewhat from donations, but mainly for the publications um, and the me- membership dues and things like that. So it's, it's not a flush organization, but there are outreach activities listed on their website. Um, but to, across NASA, for example, all the mission, all the missions, um, have both education and outreach and, and the education is rolled up into something called the universe of learning. And the outreach stuff is, pretty much by mission that isn't a combined effort the education is but the outreach isn't because each mission is is presenting both news and outreach um um based on their mission not on the whole on not on the whole nasa collective um as far as citizen science it's interesting that that question came up because there 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 have been enough, so there's the Zooniverse world, and they're very active, and you can get involved yeah, in science that way. And then, as far as NASA, what's happening within the Science Mission Directorate is it started at Goddard, and now um, Science Mission Directorate it has a guy who has a split appointment. I think he's part of the Disc Disc Detectives or, um, project. Um, Anyway, he's he's been looking at what kind of citizen science can be done within astrophysics, at least, and it may spread to heliophysics and the other disciplines. And they're actually having a conference to bring all this stuff together in June. Fortunately, it's during the air race, so I can't go. I was invited to go, but I can't go because it's during the air race. <laughs> I think you should do it via Skype while you're racing. That's what I think. Yeah, right. <laughs> you're a good uh, But anyway, so that I think – I think that's getting more and more organized and they're trying to, to build up uh, a, a, a site where people can go and see all the projects that are available. And that site will probably be through Goddard Space Flight Center. Yeah. Did you read? So in, they uh, are trying to get organized in that, in that way. Did you read where Trump wants to cancel NASA STEM stuff? 
That happens all the time. <laughs> They're always under threat, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, he wants to cancel, I guess, all of their STEM outreach stuff, which I don't know if this would, would fall under that or not. But I, uh, I think, see, I think this is all the stuff that's in the education division that's always been a problem because the NASA education division, in my opinion, historically, when I was interacting with them directly, is they, some of it was, was Earth, drew from Earth science, some of it drew from astronauts, and some of it was just made up stuff. The annoying thing to me was very little of it had anything to do with the missions within the science division. They didn't interact with us. They were separate. And so science mission directorate used to be called, I don't know, something else before the science mission directorate and its predecessor, which is only a predecessor by name, has always done education and outreach and has been very successful. And it's all relevant because it's real data and real scientists analyzing that real data. And so that's where the science content comes from. So, and then I know for a while that, you know, I, I love astronauts. They're great. And some of them are wonderful as far as, as education and outreach. Um, but it was all about meet an astronaut, which is great. It's really yeah. exciting. Some of my <coughs> best friends are astronauts. Anyway. Um, <laughs> They're really great. Uh, you met one, though. You met them all. Like my, uh, Mike Massimino. He's like, he's. He he's is. He's quite nice. He, yeah, he's quite he's a guy. like a fabulous guy. Yep. <laughs> um, um, yeah. But he'd be a fabulous guy anyway, even if, but the fact that he's an astronaut. He's really an good. Astronaut. He works at the Intrepid Museum. He works at the university in New York. Like he's a, he's a good guy. But meet an astronaut as a school, as a school thing when you do in school or a field trip. It's great. It's very stimulating, exciting, but it doesn't teach anybody anything about it. it, it, It's not long lived. It doesn't have any sustainability. It's not education. It's an exciting thing. That's it. Yeah. So that's not an education program. It's barely an outreach program. You met a famous person, you know, it'd be like saying, um, meeting an actor teaches you makes you an actor or Mm. makes you a director or makes you a screenplay writer not (laughs) so much so it's equivalent to that it's not education so that is why the education division or whatever it is branch whatever it is at this point um it's not a division i think it's an office education office at nasa is always under attack is because they have no no content that links back to the missions yeah well it suffers from it sounds to me like a lot of the same things that nasa as a agency suffers from they're always you know being they're they're tossed to the winds as far as what they're told to work on and and how to work on it so it's very it's very analogous i think to their to their agency as a whole because they just seem sometimes so out to you know out to out of drift uh in terms of what they're going to do i mean even now we're hearing that sls is on the chopping block and that was the thing 
that was going to get humans back on into space from NASA. That was NASA's thing. They were going to do this and it was going to happen and we're going to do it on the SLS. And now they're thinking, eh, maybe not. Maybe the maybe SLS not. is too much. Maybe it won't even <laughs> yeah, fly not. now. No, but I, so, I, I will say that we, we, we fight for, or I used to be part of that, but you are going to wait for one minute. Is that your um, dog? Does he need to go for a walk? I, I don't know what she wants. She's been for a walk. Yeah. Um, Mine's nice to sleep here. No, she's definitely not asleep. <laughs> yeah, Stop there it goes. Stop it. No. <laughs> I'm going to let her out. Okay, all right. So I'll, I'll read a couple of the comments. Um, uh, let's see. What are you guys thinking of this, by the way? This is sort of a random thing that we're doing. So I appreciate you guys showing Sorry, up. Sorry, it's, it's a really nice day, and she's really grumpy about being inside. Oh, is it nice up there? Uh, yeah. You're about nice. to get slammed with a storm, I think. It's hitting know, my son in Colorado right now. My back deck, it's 75 degrees. So yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, right now, uh, um, but I want to tell you what deck, it is here. Which, um, by design, faces south. So um, uh, anyway... In historically, the science mission directorate has been very um, aggressive about defending the programs because they are well established and they reach a lot of people and they draw upon real science content. I mean, if where are you going to get earth science, um, astronomical science, all those kind of things? Where are you? Where is that content that's supposed to go into schools and outreach programs if you don't get it from active researchers? Yeah can't make it up no we don't want to learn the planets in order just because we know them right it's not very useful it was useful to me one day (laughs) okay i have to tell this story so one of my flight partners and i was flying and we we were there's these passports which you go to all the airports with a stamp in maryland there's one in virginia so we go to this little airport and um we pull in and the guy who's there comes out and he said you want gas and we were like, yeah. Um, and he's like, well, I'm not going to. Oh, no. We said, no, we don't want gas. We weren't going to buy gas. We want the stamp. And he said, you're not going to buy gas? And he said, no, we don't need gas. We just want the stamp. <laughs> we only flew here a half hour. We don't need gas. He's like, well, I'm not going to give you the stamp. And he said, I'll tell you what. If you can name the planets in order, I'll give you the stamp. Did he really? (laughs) It actually came in handy. My partner about died. He just fell on the ground. He was laughing so hard. So then I rattled off the planets and then went, sometimes Pluto. And um, (laughs) UB24 or whatever. And Eris. And I kept naming. And the dwarf planets are blah, blah, blah. And the guy just stood there and went, okay, I'll give you the stamp. I'll give you the stamp. Did he know? My Little did he was know. like he was laughing so hard because you asked the wrong person. Oh, that was great. Well, there <laughs> you go. Let that be a lesson to, to everybody the out there. In order. Yes, let that be a lesson to everybody out there. Sometimes you do gotta know this stuff. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so Larry Keese was very interested in your talking about the glass plates earlier. Yes. And uh and he wants to know is it possible to gain knowledge from including the glass images with Gaia data? Is there anything useful um, in doing that? Not so much because the glass plates have a mu- I mean, they're very wide field, so they're not very high resolution. I mean, well, yeah, but not Gaia scans the whole precision. sky. Yeah, and, and well, that too, but but also those those plates are old photographic plates, and they're mostly pretty bright objects. The thing they're useful for is um, 
you know, if there's variable phenomenon, sometimes people go back to the plates and and look at the plates for historical reference because there might be a field that was observed by the Harvard plates that you could use the data for that reason. Um, and something which maybe just looked like a fly speck or imperfection on the plate may actually have been something, but it wasn't really analyzed. So it's it, it's of historical significance and it's and also can be a reference um, because it is a very long baseline. Um, but otherwise, I think it it's one of the reasons that it's hard to get funding to scan them because it's really expensive to scan them properly. Mm-hmm. But it's also very difficult to store them forever, right? So yeah, they're right. in these vaults at Harvard College Observatory, and they really don't want to keep them in the vaults anymore. Yeah. So it's a lot of real estate being used up by glass plates. So nobody wants to just break them all and throw them away. But on the other hand, there's not a plan. So right. that's why, and also emulsion degrades over a long period of time. Think about really old pictures that you've seen that were probably quite viable at the time. And now, you know, decades out. later, they're really degrade. So emulsion does degrade. So yeah. The idea was to try to scan. So some of them have been scanned. Ones, there used to be a policy that that would be scanned if there was some reason that somebody actually wanted to see a certain field and then you could have it scanned, but they want to scan all of them. So they're trying to get, I think, private funding. Okay. Well, Carol, uh, let's see. Uh, John Suffold is asking, uh, and then I'm going to, uh, hang on, where is it? Carol, do you believe in positive discrimination where the best candidate for a position could be passed over in favor of a female or black applicant? But then Galaxia comes along and comments, positive discrimination is about the equally good woman over the equally good man, John, John Suffolk. So do you have a comment on that? Thank, thank you, Galaxia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know there are there are many it's hard to say this applicant is equal to the another applicant because that's true i don't know i don't even know what that means that's really hard Somebody, to gauge, and it? and at our organization we have very specific and it's also true of other organizations what do we need well we need somebody who in a particular field maybe we also need somebody who is who is able to do the functional work that we have um, work on instrumentation, work on software, work in the data archives. So there might be somebody who's, um, and I will say, I will say in defense, you know, cause I've been on those selection committees many times we've had the rock star, we've cultivated the rock star to come to our organization and they have been horrified that they have to work on the telescope. I have to do what? I have to talk to users? Are you kidding? <laughs> oh my so, God. I mean, is that really the best candidate? Well, if you're just trying to get the reputation of Space Telescope on a research paper, yeah. But we're there to serve the community. And so you need people who can do research, understand the research, talk to their colleagues, and work on the telescope itself. That's many. There are many factors. Um, and so uh, there isn't, you know, th- we grade all those things. And who's best, right? So they rank, and then there's this kind of gut rank ordering, and there's and and there are many people judging. The missions have to judge. So there's not one person making this decision. The director has to weigh in. This deputy director, all the mission heads, the uh, the staff. If you're going to apply for like the office of public outreach, I had to go talk to all the the staff. They had to either like me or not. So there's all these people voting. So there is no such thing as the best candidate. 
Yeah, and the, your your point about rock stars are well taken. You know, they some sometimes they start to believe their own cool. They they drink their own Kool Aid and they start thinking <laughs> that you know they don't have to do a lot of. But, uh, but some of those people, uh, there may be institutions where they, they can accommodate someone who's mostly doing research and maybe will teach one course, mm-hmm. mentor some graduate students if they're willing to do that. I mean, it is, it's hard when you're a rock star and you're a postdoc and all you have to do is your research and then suddenly you wake up and you have to get a real job. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard. And, and this is a part where the mentors are not helping them. Because they need to explain to you, you know, when you're done being a postdoc, you have to do a real job. Yeah. You have to have other skills. So best candidate is very, very hard. Yeah. And uh, Superluminals is articulating something that I think a lot of people think sometimes. And I'd like to get your thoughts on it. I'm not sure I agree with this, but he is saying if a field is filled with mostly men, it's not always a sign of discrimination. Sometimes it's just a sign of difference of interest. And then he goes on. If you give people the freedom to choose what they want to do, many pe- many more men will enter computer science than women. Is that an interesting that's because early on, early on, when you're a little tiny kid, it's not cool. You're supposed to wear a pink dress and, you know, not go in and not go into those fields. And there's not much interest. I mean, if you look at the industry behind war games and the kind of things that is a, are interesting to boys, you know, and there there are efforts to try to turn that around, but the the culture from very early age, it, it's just it's not that interesting. It's yeah. a tool, but the, and there are brilliant coders um, who are women, but the whole culture from I mean, don't even get me started. The culture from the get go, from a little kid. I mean, I, I know this from, from my family. My nephew, when he was three, was in front of a computer and he was doing stuff. It wasn't that the girls were completely uninterested. It's just that it, it didn't seem important to have them do that. And also the technology was growing. And so there was more stuff for him to do than it was. Now, young ladies I know who were those skills when they were three were being developed, they're hot rods. So I think it's a whole systematic um, progression through life and experience that makes you end up saying, yuck, to computer science. Okay, let me read um, Tim Taylor's comments, and then we're going to probably cut it off here. Uh, he's, He's commented several times. <clears throat> no such thing as the best candidate, dot, dot, dot. Hmm. Yeah, I think I get it. Nope, lost it again. That makes zero sense. Uh, we'll, I'll get back to that in a minute, Tim, Tim Taylor. But then he says, one of my friends is an accomplished woman engineer and former aircraft mechanic. She said she never even noticed it was all men and never know, and never once have I seen her seek special attention based on her being a woman. This, in caps, is why I respect her, not because she was capable of being, not because she was capable of being a woman engineer. She, well, he re- so lucky. he respects her because she never sought special attention based on her being a woman, okay. not because will, she's a woman I, engineer. I, I'm I'm glad for her. I'm glad for her. And I used to think that when I were when I worked at the observatories until I came to Berkeley, um, my previous observatories, I didn't think there was anything going on either. It was only after I looked back and went, oh, that's what that was about. 
did I realize that the the hidden biases were there all along? I just didn't see them because I was concentrated on my job and I didn't think about why I couldn't do this or what. Okay, yeah, all right, whatever. I'm doing my job. I didn't I didn't really think about it. And I will say, at most of the observatories, I was I was treated fairly. There were some exceptions to that, but in, in many cases, it was just like do your job. But that's not, that's not all, that's not always true. And I, and I, and I will say this thing about conferences and giving talks and invited talks is really a problem in academics. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, and, well, let me just, let me just get back to this talk thing on the, on the best candidate there. issue. Look, Tim, you know, we didn't say there's no such thing as the best candidate or if he did, maybe that's not what I would have meant. I would have said it's, it's not what Carol said. And what I agree with is it's not straightforward to figure out who that best candidate might be for a given position. Right. And at, at my organization, we have some like five things we're looking for. We're looking for the good science. We're looking for, um, obviously, ability to, you know, they have to give a talk and show what they can do, that they've done the work. Um, they have to have instrument experience. They have to have diverse instrument experience. They have to be willing to help calibrate an instrument. They might have to work on software. They might have to work in the data archives. They may have to do some outreach. All of those are factors that they have to come in and we ask about them all. And the other thing is that all the divisions have to interview them. And what one division thinks is fabulous, another one doesn't. And so to say, Oh, that's the best candidate. Yeah, for that division, but is for the institute as a whole, that person may not be. Yeah. So it is a consensus hiring. Yeah. At my organization, faculties are different. Lots of times, faculties just want research and 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 ability to accept the slavery of teaching, right? Because a lot of my colleagues, it's like, okay, I teach two courses, but I don't really like it. Other universities are like, you got to be all about teaching and we, we're glad you're doing research, but you're not going to have much time to do it. So best really depends on what the job is. And there are ma- always many factors. They're not just one thing that makes a person the best. Right. Well, so they might score a tiny bit higher, but we're down. At, you know, yes. Usually what happens is when we do the scoring, if we have 20 candidates, we'll have five that have high scores five that have medium scores and then the rest we've triaged out that's how it goes the top five are the top five yeah and they're it's still not straightforward five. as far as whether they're the best candidate or not and that we argue all the time oh it's a better research oh more robust you know but they're interested in instrumentation we really need somebody to do work on <laughs> jwst you know this person's really interested on w first they're not interested in jwst okay maybe do we really need a person on w first i mean all that stuff Right? Yeah. So well, th- things are starting to pick up here. So let me get this comment okay. out. Um, uh, okay. <clears throat> Hans Milling is saying, I brought my daughter with me and my telescope. Uh, with me and my telescopes many times took her to fly rc planes and drones and stuff like that but she does not have the interest she uh she still knows all the constellations uh and some stars then later he comments i know she will never get into science she's not she is not interested her teacher is participating in all kinds of science 
Her teacher is participating in all kinds of science things, Lego robots, etc. But again, she has no interest. Well, okay, fine. That's not a. But that's yeah, not the opportunity. That's not the same thing as not giving somebody right. the opportunity. What we're talking saying, about is if she were, what kind of environment would she be in? Exactly. Uh, to, and to do it's that. true. You expose kids to things, and 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 you know, you expose them as much as they can, and try to reduce the barrier so that they feel comfortable doing it, and then they decide. But if you you at you know, oh no, that's really the boys' class. I've seen that, and it's like, okay, what if she wanted to take a computer class? Yeah, well, okay, couple more. It. You know, it's like a couple more. Tim Taylor responds, but what if there's no women in the top five? And how about people of no color? No women in the top five, right? And how about people of color? In astronomy, people of color are not so many. Yeah. Um. You know, we uh, this year, um, I, I, I'm not involved in the hiring, but I, I don't know that we have any. Yeah. If there are no women in the top five, there are no women in the top five. But but you know how we interpret that? We didn't get them to apply. That's on us. That's not on them. Yeah, that's, that's a on failure. Us yep. Because there are lots of young ladies who are postdocs who are fabulous and they would be fabulous. And some number of them should want to apply. And I don't think we had that problem this year, um, but but we've recognized that part of the selection is way before their applications show up. It's how many people we called. We called Julianne. Do you have any women? We've got none. Do you, do you know any young ladies? You know, you got to you got to be aggressive about it. Who's your best candidate? Okay, you have any young ladies? Yeah. Um, Okay, so uh, last comment. Anyway. I, I probably keep saying this, but this is a good one. I'll leave it with here. Uh, Superluminal wells. I don't know if it's, it's controversial. I'll say that. Uh, there have been studies done on this, though. This is from Superluminal. Uh, uh-huh. There are real differences between men and women, independent of culture. And in, quotation, or in, in parentheses, he has pink dresses, types of toys, <laughs> etc. There are real differences between genders, independent of culture. Praise the Lord. And you know what? Yeah. I don't think anybody's going to argue with that. I love my male colleagues. I, I, I'm happy to work with Tony. He's, he, he and well, I have a great time together. I'll tell you, as far as professionalism and teaming, the people, uh, we, now have, we now have young ladies who come and say, you know, they're giving their talk, and I've seen them do it because they've been coached. They come in and they say, we, I did this study because they are told they have to say, I did this study. Women always say we. We did the study. Oh, well, she really didn't have that much to do with it. That's the <laughs> comment at the end of the talk. I wonder how much she had to do. So that the mentors have to coach them. Don't say we. Don't be collegial. Say I. If you're trying to sell yourself, say I. It may feel bad, but you've got to practice in front of the mirror. I initiated the study. I did this. I reviewed this person's work and thought it was applicable. That's what men do. And everybody, nobody questions that they're, you know, oh, but he probably collaborated with somebody, but it was really his idea. As soon as a woman says we, it's like, well, they didn't do all the work. (laughs) Guess it wasn't theirs. Eh, Not a suitable candidate. I can tell you, I've heard the discussions. I've been there 20 years listening to the talks. So that's what happens. All right, we're going to stop. it's, it's, It's implicit bias. It's implicit bias. Yeah. I'm not saying all of our listeners have those biases, but I can tell you in academia, there is implicit bias. And that's the perspective. And they don't know they're doing it. Yeah. 
Well, I'm going to have to stop here, Carol, because we've gone over and uh, I want to I want you guys to let me know what you think. This this will be posted on the Deep Astronomy show on uh, (laughs) on the as a podcast. We're going to be doing this once a month. Uh, Carol, we're coming back next month, the second Thursday of every month. Carol and I are going to get together and just chat like this. So the next one, Carol doesn't know this yet, but I want to talk about the Hubble Space Telescope and JWST. I I am starting to doubt whether JWST is going to even launch now. And so I want to just talk about the stuff. And uh, so that'll be hopefully the topic of our next one. We'll just get together and, and chat. So thank you okay. guys. No, for, I appreciate everybody's comments too. I like the dialogue. I do too. And I like that this like worked out really well. Nobody has to agree with me. And what sucks is the viewership really started ramping up toward the end. I have a feeling the notifications from YouTube went out really, really late. And that's oh, why wow. we had such a heavy uh, influx toward the end there. Um, Okay, so uh, we'll stop all there, right. and I will see you guys next. I'll see you again next. Week. Thank you, Carol, for taking time out, and thank you guys all for watching and as yeah, all and listening. Yeah, thank you. It was fun. <laughs> thank you always. very much for your comments. I loved it. Yeah, and keep looking up. 